Right, today's passage is from John chapter 1, verse 1 to 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The words became fresh and made his drowning among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He, came, he who came after me has surpassed me as he surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in praise of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through, uh, came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in close relationship with the Father, has made him known. Well, thank you very much, Yong Chen. So, uh, for a few minutes this morning, I would like us to um, focus our hearts and minds on verse um, 14 of that reading, especially the um, first a few words of it. These are very well-known words at Christmas time. Uh, they make their words onto sort of uh, many different church notice sheets and uh, many different um, Christmas cards as well. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of sure you probably picked them up there. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And so I'd like to start this morning just by asking for a quick um, show of hands, if I could. So if you've traveled to Hong Kong for this Christmas period, 
uh, I wonder uh, if you could raise your hand just now. So if you've travelled to Hong Kong for this Christmas period, can you raise your hand just now? Of course, many of our regulars have probably travelled elsewhere for Christmas, but if you've travelled to uh, Hong Kong for this Christmas period uh, to spend it with um, friends and family, it would be great if I could see who you are. Okay, wonderful, thank you. Now, if you live in Hong Kong, which I'm assuming is uh, almost all the rest of us, if you live in Hong Kong and you're spending Christmas here in Hong Kong, then you can, you can let me see your hands as well. Okay, so we have a fair number doing that. And now I guess I could ask you to, if you live in Hong Kong but would like to be spending Christmas somewhere else, if you want to be raising your hand right, right now, okay? I'm not sure. Okay, certainly uh, a, a um, few, perhaps. Okay, so really the point of that brief exercise is just really to make the point that many of us travel for Christmas. This is a time of year when many of us uh, make journeys and actually travel to be with loved ones. Not everyone, of course, uh, but many people travel even to the point of actually getting on a plane and flying halfway around the world uh, just because they want to be with people that they love at Christmas time. And I think that's actually a really helpful introduction to John chapter 1, verse um, 14 this morning, which is all about the journey that Jesus basically took that very first Christmas time when he came from heaven to earth to be born as a baby in the manger because he wanted to be with those he loved. That's a long journey uh, that Jesus took, even more than a flying halfway around the world. Uh, as the uh, verse says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's describing the journey that Jesus took. And so all I'd really like us to do for a few moments now is to spend a few minutes looking at this particular um, verse and Jesus' journey. And I think we, th we see uh, three stages of it. Uh, first of all, we see who Jesus was. Then we see what Jesus became. And then uh, lastly, we see what Jesus did. Uh, so then, uh, number one, we see who Jesus was. And here, of course, John describes Jesus as the word um, this passage is clear that uh, the word is a person. Uh, we can see that in verse 17 of our reading where he is identified specifically as Jesus Christ. And then we also see that uh, Jesus is God, so the word is God. So then in uh, verse 1 uh, we read, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So the word was God. And it's this idea, really, of Jesus being the eternal word of God that John picks up and now in verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The eternal word of God uh, became flesh and dwelt among us. And the point, really, is that we use words in order to communicate if you think about it, ideas and feelings and actions, all of those things are great and they're all really important, but none of them really communicates like words do. In order to communicate clearly, we need words. Uh, actions can be very meaningful, obviously, but actions can often be open to misinterpretation. It's easier to be clear about what we really mean and to reveal ourselves and our hearts and who we really are when we use words. Um, this Christmas, I guess, um, some of us will have travelled from other places to be here with relatives in Hong Kong, which is obviously great. But others of us, myself included, will have all of our relatives who aren't actually here in uh, Hong Kong. Uh, how will we communicate with them? Well, I guess uh, I could write them a letter, 
or we might uh, mail them a Christmas card, maybe, or we might call them up on the phone on Christmas Day, or we might uh, use WhatsApp, perhaps. But what all of those things have in common is that they all use words. You see, we know that we communicate most clearly and most effectively with words. And it's exactly the same with God. This is what John is getting at here when he describes Jesus as the word. When God wanted to communicate clearly with us, he did it through Jesus Christ, the one who is the word. Um, A number of you here may have heard of Calvin Coolidge. So you can uh, see a picture of him there on the screen. Of course, Calvin Coolidge was president of the USA in the 1920s. And apparently Calvin Coolidge was a man of very few words. And he earned the nickname of um, Silent Cal. Um, Some of you um, may have heard the story, perhaps, that there was once a dinner party where a woman went up to speak with him. She went up to speak to Calvin Coolidge and said, my friend has made a bet with me that I can't get you to say more than two words all evening. At which point Calvin Coolidge apparently leaned over to her and said, you lose. And then kept completely quiet uh, for the rest of the night. Well, I think the message of this passage this morning is that God is not like Calvin Coolidge. He is not a silent God. Although we may sometimes think that God is quiet, we may sometimes think that God is uh, silent or remote or far away from us. That is not actually the case at all. Rather, one of the great truths of Christmas is that God wants to communicate with us and God wants to draw near to us. And we can see that in the fact that Jesus is the word that shows us that God wants to communicate. And this is something really amazing. What this is basically saying is that the motivation for Jesus leaving his home in glory uh, was to become a baby in a manger in order uh, for God to communicate with us. And so that's really the first stage, if you like, of the Christmas journey, who Jesus was. However, we need to move on because we also see here what Jesus became. And here we see that Jesus um, became flesh. It says the word became flesh. I always think that the uh, use of the word flesh here is uh, really interesting. Uh, You see, it shows us that Jesus really did become a living person like we are, except without sin. Uh, The word flesh shows us that Jesus didn't just pretend to be a person for a little while and and, and sort of then go back to heaven again. But he really did take on a human body like what we have. He exposed himself to human frailty and vulnerability. And of course, it's one of the great mysteries right at the heart of Christianity. Jesus always was God. And without diminishing his divinity in any way, he became a person like we are when he was born as a baby in the manger. I think this is something that we often miss. Uh, Sometimes, I think, uh, those of us who are Christians can maybe so quick to emphasize that that Jesus is is God that we forget that Jesus was also fully man. And so we need to be clear that Jesus didn't just appear to be a person. He actually became a person that first Christmas. He really did take on human flesh, uh, both fully God and fully man. And so this means that Jesus grew up and developed like we do. It means that he got hungry and tired. It means that Jesus would have got blisters on his hands when he worked in his carpenter's store. 
Uh, it means that he went through puberty as a teenager and became an adult. Uh, it means that Jesus uh, genuinely experienced pain and uh, suffering on the cross when he died. And it means that Jesus still has a um, physical body right now because he rose again physically from the dead. It means that Jesus had real relationships, that Jesus had real emotions. He experienced joy and, and a happiness, sadness and grief. I remember him crying, for instance, at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. It means that Jesus reasoned and he used his mind to work things out. He was like us in every way, except he was without sin. And all of this is very important for us this morning because it means that Jesus is able to sympathize with us. It means that Jesus knows what it's like to grieve. It means that Jesus understands us and he knows what we are going through, whatever that may be, this Christmas time. Uh, maybe you are someone and you're here this morning and uh, behind all of the sort of Christmas happiness and Christmas cheer, uh, you're actually someone who may be suffering deeply. Perhaps you've uh, reached Christmas Day, but if, if you're honest, it sort of really feels like you're just hanging on by your fingernails. Uh, you're really struggling to hold everything together in your life. Well, know that this, this morning that Jesus knows that and Jesus understands what you are going through and he is sympathetic to you because he has become one of us. You can come to him confident of his grace and love and concern and support and understanding and care. And you can call out to him in prayer, knowing that he sympathizes with you. Uh, I really love the um, story of a man called Father Damien, who was a missionary in one of the Pacific Islands uh, in the Pacific Ocean. And he actually uh, went for most of his life to help out with a uh, leper colony there. Uh, where people had sort of been banished far away from their friends and relatives. And he worked there uh, faithfully serving those lepers uh, for over 20 years. And then uh, one morning finally came and he began his uh, Sunday morning sermon with the words, We lepers. We lepers. You see, he had become like those that he came to serve. I think that's a really great illustration of what Jesus has done for us in the incarnation it's as if when Jesus showed up as a baby in the manger that very first Christmas time, he was saying, we people, we human beings, we people. He took on flesh. He identified with us. He was willing to become like us. And of course, this wasn't ultimately just to sympathize with us, but was also to redeem us and save us and rescue us from our sin. And uh, all this leads us on to our last point. So not just who Jesus was or what Jesus became, but also finally what Jesus did. And here we see that he made his dwelling among us. So uh, verse 14 again, the word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. Uh, it's often noted that the word used for dwelling here is uh, the word tabernacled. Uh, that's a Greek word. Uh, in this context here, which literally means to pitch a tent. And uh, so what this is saying is that Jesus tabernacled amongst us. Jesus came to pitch his tent amongst us when he was born as a baby in Bethlehem, as one of us. Uh, it's the same word that is actually used in the Old Testament at the time of the Exodus. So you probably remember how God's people were in the wilderness on their way out of Egypt to the Promised Land, um, and God told them to make a tent, which is called a tabernacle uh, which would be in the middle of the camp and that was where God's presence would dwell with them 
and there's a, a sort of artist's uh, impression of what the tent would have looked like there on the screen. And I guess the people could look at that tent uh, right in the middle of the camp and they would know that God was with them. That tent uh, symbolized God's presence with his people. And of course, it's exactly the same with us as well. When we look at Jesus, we know that God is with us. He has pitched his tent with us. He has tabernacled with us. Now, for a very long time in my life, I actually thought that this idea of sort of Jesus pitching his tent, Jesus camping with us, was all about Jesus just being here on earth for a very short period of time. And so I thought, just as I go sort of camping on Chung Chow for a few days, and then maybe return home after that, that so Jesus pitched his tent with us, he was just here on earth for a very short period of time, and then uh, returned back home to glory. Uh, That's what I thought. But I've now realised that that is actually not what this is about at all. Rather, I think this is all about God's desire to be with his people that he would dwell with them. You see, if you come camping with me, then you really want to be with me. We end up cooking together, maybe. We end up uh, walking together. We end up doing life together because we are camping together. I think it's exactly the same idea here. That's what God's saying here. God wants to dwell with us. God wants us to experience his presence. God wants us to know him. Uh, God wants to get to know us. God wants to be in relationship with us. He wants to have interactions with us as the people that he's created and made in his own image. And so that's why he comes to make his dwelling with us. You see, this is not about Jesus just camping with us and only being with us for a little while. Rather, this is about God wanting to be with us because he loves us. It's a theme, actually, that we see from one end of the Bible to the next. Uh, So the beginning of the Bible, there, Exodus 25, verse 8, God says, Then have them make a sanctuary for me. Why? And I will dwell with them. Right at the end of the Bible, the book of uh, Revelation 21, and verse 3, John says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and will be their God. And so hopefully you can see that this is really all about relationship. God's love for his people and his desire to be with them personally. And that is why he sent Jesus into the world. Um, If you think all the way back to the introduction and those journeys that we take to be with people at Christmas time, why do we do that? Well, I suppose someone may do it because they have to, but most of the time it's because we love someone and we want to be with them. We realize that a card or an email is a poor substitute for actually being with that person, uh, with someone in person. And so we travel to be with them because we love them. When uh, Rachel and I were dating, um, all of our relationship was basically long distance. Uh, So Rachel was working in Edinburgh and I was uh, living and working down in uh, London in the UK. But then we got engaged and we decided to get married in just um, three months. Um, I don't necessarily recommend to any of you to kind of try and organize a relatively large wedding in just three months. But anyway, uh, we got engaged in the October, and then we actually got married just after Christmas. And uh, the reason that we did that uh, was that we really wanted to be with each other. Uh, we didn't want to do long distance any longer. The uh, emails and the, the sort of uh, mobile phone calls, uh, we wanted to actually be together in person. And this passage is really saying it's exactly the same with God. God wants to be with us, and so he pitched his tent 
among us. He moved into our neighborhood, if you like, in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, the reason why Jesus undertook his great journey, the reason why he left heaven and became one of us was because of God's love. He wants to be with us and he wants us to be with him. Naturally, of course, we are not able to be with God. We are alienated from him by our sin and rebellion against him. But yet the reason Jesus came that first Christmas time was so that sinful people like us may be able to dwell with a holy God. He became one of us, not just to sympathize with us, but to save us, to rescue us, to do for us what we could never do for ourselves by dying uh, in our place uh, on the cross. And so for all of us this Christmas morning, have you realized that God loves you and that God wants to be with you? Have you realized that God wants interaction with you? And uh, that is why Jesus came Maybe you're here this morning and you're, and you're someone who isn't a Christian. And you've always assumed that kind of God, if he exists, and doesn't really want anything to actually do with you. He's happy with uh, his life and you're kind of happy with your life. Uh, or maybe you're someone who's perhaps a Christian already, but yet you've lost sight of God's love for you. Because uh, other things have crowded in. And if you're really honest with yourself, uh, you'll know what they are. But you see, this reminds us that God wants to be with us. He wants us to experience his presence in our lives. And so will we respond to him and draw near to him this morning? Uh, if you're someone this morning who isn't a Christian, then maybe one great takeaway for you is just a very simple and straightforward idea that God wants to be with you. Maybe that's a thought that you've never really taken away and never really thought about before. Uh, the reason that Jesus came that first Christmas time was because God loves you and he wants to be with you. And then for those of us who are Christians, surely the most appropriate response for all this is to fall down on our knees and worship Jesus Christ. And so let's uh, praise and worship him this Christmas morning. Worship him because he is the word. He's God's communication with us. Worship him because he's the one who took on flesh, the one who sympathizes with us and he knows what we are going through. And worship him because he has made his dwelling with us so that we can know him and live with him forever because of his death for us. If you think about it, Jesus' journey uh, is not like many of the Christmas journeys that we make where we just uh, summer for a very short period of time and then return home. Rather, his journey is that so he could be with us forever and ever and we could go to be with him one day in glory. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we give thanks for this Christmas morning and for this passage from your word, the Bible. We give thanks that Jesus Christ took on flesh and became one of us that first Christmas in order to rescue us from our sins. We give thanks that because of his death, we can dwell with you and you can dwell with us both now and forever. And we ask all of these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.